So this morning, I'm going to talk to you... Actually, I mean, this segues perfectly. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about a preamble here. We talked last week about some spiritual warfare, and I'm going to talk about another scheme of the enemy today, actually, and a little bit about a little bit more about spiritual warfare. But I, I want to lay. Um, I want to lay the uh, foundation here of what what is the plot? What are we up to? You know, it's one thing to sort of go after fighting battles with the enemy, but, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense outside of the context of what we are doing, right? It's like if we're, if we're focusing on what we're not doing, that only lasts for a little while. Well, we want to make sure that we're focusing on what we are doing. So let me just begin with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. This is the love chapter. And, um, oh man, it's so good. Here we go. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. What a beautiful picture. See, this is what we're being invited into as we're saying Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is being formed in us. Well, this picture of love, that's what's being formed in us. Christ formed in us. I want to read this one more time because I, I want you to catch this. This is, this is who you and I are becoming. This is who we're called to be like and with. And this is who is in us. Okay, Christ in us. Christ suffers long. Christ is kind. Christ doesn't envy. Christ doesn't parade himself. And he's not puffed up. He doesn't behave rudely. He doesn't seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He doesn't rejoice in iniquity. That's a, that's a say law right now. Our world says that love equals iniquity. Like, love means you can do whatever you want and no one should judge you for it. The scripture says actually that God doesn't rejoice in iniquity. He doesn't celebrate it and tell you that you're, you should be so proud. He rejoices in the truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. And he never fails. This is what's being formed in us. See, it's important right now. It's okay for us to understand that we live in a culture that's trying to lower love down to our current level of experience. And Christ is saying, no, I'm being formed into you. I'm being formed in you and I'm calling you all up into my current level of experience, which is love. And this is the definition of that. Are you guys with me? So we're being called into that. And that's being formed in us. And you guys, as you know, we were, we were created to extend this very love, this beautiful, beautiful reality of the love of Christ. The first commandment is love God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And the second commandment is like it, to love others as much as Christ loves us and as much as Christ loves them. So we're called into that. And then we know this, that he's saying, I want you all to be built up together in the faith so that people see your love for each other, this 1 Corinthians love. They see it. It's so real. It's so lived out in real time. It's not just that I say I love you, and I do, but that I also choose you even when things are hard. I keep my covenant with you, my promise with you, my relationship with you. I continue to do the work of God on this earth with you. I'm, I'm walking alongside of you. My kitchen smells like Christ. 
There's excellence in my kitchen. When you come over, you show up and you feel like you're in the kitchen with Jesus. There's food in the fridge. The floor is swept and mopped. And I say, can I get you an iced tea or would you prefer a pint? I am there to show you the love of Christ. So my kitchen and my words, and then when I'm at work, then you come into my place of business, I'm going to sell you something that's of the value that it should be so that I can make a profit and take care of my employees and my family so it's loving me, but also it's a price you can afford that serves the need that you have. And it's a quality product that you need that you can count on it and you paid the right price for it. So it's a win-win. I love you. You love me. We both win. Why does that happen? Because the kingdom is extending. Amen? Amen. So there's no, there's no part of life that we're not living out this 1 Corinthians 13. Amen? And what God wants from us is for us to continue to demonstrate this faithfully, enduring. Love endures all things. We endure through this life. We don't, we don't quit the game. We don't change the rules. We don't start a new thing. We don't say, well, that was great, but you know, the thing is, I'm just not feeling it anymore. So like, I'm gonna just take my love and like, go do it somewhere else. That's not love. That's something else. So we're called to live this out. And the plot is that we've been reconciled to God and Christ is being formed in us and we're extending the kingdom of Christ in everything that we do. Now, there's another part of this plot. There's another part of this big picture is that we have an enemy. How many of you guys know we have an enemy? All right, we do. And when we don't realize we have an enemy, when we lose sight of that in the plot of how things are happening, there's a couple things that happen. Number one, if we forget we have an enemy, other people become our enemy. Did you catch that? Because if we don't, if there's no, if there's no wicked one cruising around, stirring each other up against one another, creating evil, tempting, etc., then I'm going to start going, well, bad things are happening. <laughs> it must be Red's fault. <laughs> I'm going to start pointing the finger at other people in places where I need to be pointing the, the finger at the enemy, honestly. And so what happens? I start blaming others, I start blaming God, and I start blaming myself. How many of you guys know that if you are the problem, and if you're born again, you're no longer the problem, if you're, if you're the problem and you get in a wrestling match with yourself... The very best you can do wrestling against yourself is break even. You see that? So if you have no enemy and you think you're the problem and you're just wrestling with yourself the whole time instead of resisting the devil and he flees, you're just resisting you. I said no. I said yes. I said no. I said yes. At the end of it, you're just exhausted. And then, and then the enemy comes over and he's like, you look tired. How about a, how about a painkiller? You're like, that sounds good. You're just real easy to tip over at that point. You have an enemy. You're not the enemy. Are you with me? You're not the enemy. But you have an enemy. My neighbor's not the enemy. But I have an enemy. And I need to resist that enemy. I need to overcome that enemy. In fact, one of the fun things that we do get to do in this life is that we get to destroy the works of the devil. Doesn't that sound fun? Like poverty, work of the devil. Racism, work of the devil. Chauvinism, work of the devil. Most your isms. We get to destroy that stuff, but the way that we do it is through actually living out 1 Corinthians 13. Are you guys, are you guys tracking here? All right, so 1 Corinthians 13 gives us an understanding of like, well, what are we doing? Oh yeah, we're doing that. We're living out a life 
that is so marked by being a people who love God with all of our heart according to what the teachings of Christ have given us. It's this beautiful, like, life that glistens with hope. Let me just read the definition to you again. This is the life we're living. So I just want you to, I just want, I'm going to say, I'm going to say we. We suffer long. And we're kind. We don't envy. We don't parade ourselves around. We're not puffed up. We're not behaving rudely. We're not seeking our own. We're not provoked and we don't think evil. We don't rejoice in iniquity. We don't, but we, but we do rejoice in the truth. We bear all things, we believe all things, we hope all things, and we endure all things. And we never fail. Doesn't that feel good? See, that's what we're called to do. But our enemy, our enemy has a completely different plan in mind. He has a completely different plan in mind because he hates you. And he hates me. And he hates God. And he hates us because he hates God. He wanted to be God, and God said, I don't think so, and tossed him out. And ever since then, he's been persecuting everybody who looks like God. Guess what? You're made in the image of God. You have an enemy. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren, and he's the tempter. How many of you have ever been tempted? Well, you have been tempted by the enemy. He's the one that shows up and says, has God really said you can't eat that fruit? Now, the fruit represents all of the things taken outside of the way that God created them to be a blessing. How many of you guys know that a pint is wonderful gift from the Lord God Almighty? If you're in the Northwest, you can probably say amen to that. How many of you know that four pints, you're starting to maybe get into something else? Are you seeing that? So you can take something in the way that God's given it and then take it outside of the way God gave it. How many of you know that we just took communion? We took juice because we don't live in UK. A lot of people use wine. Jesus used wine. You can, you can have communion with some wine. You can't have a whole bottle of wine. That's something completely different, isn't it? It's taking something that God gave you outside of the way that God... How many of you like sandwiches? You can have a sandwich. You need to not have five sandwiches. Why? Diabetes. <laughs> like, God wants you to have good gifts. The enemy wants you to take them in a way that destroys you. How many of you know that God invented sex? Oh my goodness. Not only did he tell us to be fruitful and multiply, he made it awesome. A river of pleasures flows from his right hand. That's what the Bible says. How many of you know that when you start having sex outside of a covenant, you've, you've turned something that's created, that's interdependent and beautiful and amazing and a place of continual refreshment and spiritual connection with physical bliss into something that is fear-based and manipulative where if you don't act the way that I want you to act, then I'll just leave and I'll take part of you with me. Man, how did something so beautiful turn into something that's such a bummer? By taking something God gave you in a way that he didn't intend for you to take it. Do you see that? This is the plot. The enemy wants to tempt us to step out of what God is cultivating and cultivate something else. And if you look around in the world, you see that. 
You see poverty. You see racism. You see classism. You see all these isms. And really what it is is it's the enemy coming in and tempting and manipulating and causing people to agree with him and to do things in ways that God did not intend. And the fruit of that is darkness and sin and inequality and eventually death. Amen? Now, when we forget that plot, what this life ends up becoming is essentially just a list of rules where we try to be good people. Now, being good people is a symptom of being in Christ. You saw the list here. We rejoice in what's good. We're kind. We're patient. We bear with each other, all right? So being good is a component of having Christ formed in us, but it's not the whole point. It's part of it, but it's not the whole point. Moralism, doing it, and let me say it like this. Not making mistakes is not the point of why Christ came. Love like God loved and cultivating his kingdom on earth and everything that we do in practical ways in a holistic life. In other words, living this whole life to see him established in each area. That is what we've been called to do. And when we make a mistake... When we, when we break those laws, Christ has afforded us forgiveness where we don't lower the standard down and be like, well, I always sin in this way, so rather than keep feeling bad, I'm just going to make that not a sin anymore, according to me. That'll make me feel better. I'll just lower the standard down to my current level of experience. There we go. That feels better. Well, temporarily, it does feel better, but you're not, you're not living out love anymore. You've just begun to rejoice in iniquity now. You've begun to think evil in that area now rather than repenting and saying, Lord, restore me back to the standard. You tried to bring the standard down to where you are. Do you see that? And that's the temptation that we have. The enemy comes and says, has God really said that this is still a bad thing? Right? We've all had that, right? It's like, well, isn't Jesus kind of progressive? <laughs> and what are we really saying? Won't Jesus just lower his standard down to what I currently want? So we've all been tempted. You guys see that. So here's one of the temptations that the enemy does. You see, he wants to break up the band, guys. He wants to break up the family. What did he do in the garden? He came and he, he tempted Adam and Eve. And what happened? The, the, what, the, what happened? They ran away from God. Jesus came in for a relationship and they're out hiding behind a tree. And it created that distance. And he tries to do the same thing with us because he knows that if he can create distance between, between us and between God, then we don't have a message. We don't have anything to offer. You see, the life that we're living is the message. It says that God, that, 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 the, that the people will see your love for each other. See you living out 1 Corinthians 13 and they will say, Jesus is certainly among you. In fact, Jesus said, they'll see the way that you love each other and when they see that, then they will believe that my Father sent me. He based his whole message on whether or not we would live out 1 Corinthians 13 together. Not for part of our life, for all of our life. Amen? All right, so here's a scheme. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that's what we're doing. And it takes, it takes a supernatural love. I want you to catch this. This little baby right here is filled with words by the living God. And when you, when you, um, when you try to live this out, you can draw on the supernatural power of God to be able to live this out. It's not natural for you to live this out. It's supernatural for you to live this out. So this love that I'm talking about, I'm not telling you like, you know what? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just get it right. Just do it right. No, no, I'm saying do what is right unto the Lord with the power that he supplies to do what's right unto the Lord. 
So when you find yourself, when you find your life not matching what he's asking you to do, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you go, oh man, I have a big old list of wrongs. And it says here that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Then you don't go, then I'm going to try really hard to stop. No, you're going to apply yourself and you're going to say, God, I need to stop this, so I need your help right now. I'm going to draw on the power that's available to do this thing that you've asked me to do. I'm not going to lower it down to how I feel. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to trust my feelings to get there. I'm going to trust you to get there because you're bigger than my feelings. Did you, did you catch that? All right, so here's this game. Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. First of all, how do we treat pagans and tax collectors? Lovingly. Lovingly, yeah. You, just like you would treat everyone. You treat them with respect and kindness and honor. Just like you would, you would, you would teach just like you would treat any unbeliever, okay? Like, that's what we do. So he, what he's saying is, at this point, if this person won't reconcile within being a uh, part of the body, then treat them like they're not part of the body, which doesn't mean like, you know, like, here, put this dunce hat on so we all can recognize you. No, you just let them know, like, you're no longer walking in fellowship with righteousness and truth anymore. I'm going to treat you with respect and honor. I'm going to love you. But you're breaking away from the faith. Okay? So you treat them with respect and honor. But here's what's interesting about this. Is it is saying, if you'll notice this previous uh, scripture, it's saying if there is a problem, if your brother or sister sins, you are one with them. So if you love them, you'll actually go to them and say, hey, can... can can we talk about this? We need to talk about this. So love actually brings healthy confrontation. How many of you guys know that it's not loving? Have, have you guys, it's not loving to let your children go play in traffic just because they feel like playing in traffic. Like it seems like a good idea to them. They're like, no, we've been timing it and we played a lot of Frogger when we were younger. How many of you are old enough to even remember Frogger? Okay, so you know, and, and so it's okay. You wouldn't let your kid go run in traffic. You're gonna intervene. You're gonna bring some healthy confrontation, right moms and dads? It doesn't even have to be your own kid. If you see a kid heading out for traffic, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna bring some healthy confrontation right now. All right, but yet when it comes to sin, when it comes to situations where you're looking like you're looking at somebody's Facebook feed or, or you're watching somebody interacting with somebody, and you're like, man, that does not look like Jesus. Like that's, that's, that's weird. Like that's, whew. and you, you, if, if I actually love you, then I'm going to come to you and I'm going to share with you and say, hey, now I'm going to come in the posture of 1 Corinthians 13, which is not puffed up is patient, endures all things, right? Doesn't seek its own. I'm going to come to you in a posture of humility, but I'm going to say, my brother, my sister, can you explain to me what you mean by this? Because this looks bad. Can you tell me what's going on? Check in. And then they explain. And then you say, okay, I can, I can understand your motivation here. Let me share with you some other things that are getting communicated right now by this behavior or by these things that you're doing. 
And if at that point they say, wow, you know, now the truth is when you do this 1 Corinthians 13 style, people don't love it. Like just so you know, faithful to the wounds of a friend, they're still wounds. Like it hurts. It does hurt to get confronted, but it hurts so good because the truth is Christ is right there and you go, oh my gosh, like you actually love me. You just risked relationship with me to tell me something that I didn't really want to hear, but I'm so glad you did. And nine times out of ten, this ends well. Is it easy? No. Is there grace for it? Yes. Christ will help you do this. In fact, it says this. Here's the follow-up scripture. What? Okay, we're done. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Christ is here to help us do this. He's actually saying, I want you to agree for heaven to be released in this relationship and for heaven to be released in this area where there was sin. You see that? He's actually there to see it happen. Now, the flip side is, is that if the person doesn't repent, Christ is also there, where like Paul, you would say, listen, we've already gone through all of this. Now, this is where you get the church involved. You wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't listen with a friend. Now, you won't listen to the church. Now, we're actually saying, like, you're not in, you're not actually walking as a follower of Christ at this point. You're, you're actually sinning, liking it, and then saying Jesus likes it. And we, we can't have that. So, at this point, we're going to pray. We love you. You can come back anytime when you're ready to repent and turn back to the Lord. But until then, we love you enough to hand you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh and hopefully for the salvation of your soul. That's what the scriptures say. It's intense, isn't it? Isn't that wild? I don't want to get to that point. In Corinthians, though, the person that they did that with repented and came back to the family. And, he, and, the, and the apostle said, bring him back just like a brother. Treat him like it never happened. He repented and came back. It worked. That's not the point of this sermon. But isn't that amazing? And I, I got to tell you, I've never had to turn anyone over for the destruction of their flesh. So that's something I never want to experience personally. But the point is that we're called to actually confront each other and care enough about each other to just not like ambivalently stand by and be like, I don't know. I mean, I hope you and Jesus work that out. Because Jesus has actually called us to love each other enough to say, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about this. Here's what's the clear teaching of Christ, and here's where you are. Can you, can you, let me help you. What can I do? What can we do? What's happening? And, and, and work through that. There's grace for that. Amen? All right. So as you're doing this, as you're willing to do this, and this is the part, now I'm, I'm bringing this up because here's the scheme of the enemy, and as I start to share this scheme, you're going to be like, oh, number one, I'm busted. Number two, I know a couple other people who are busted. So you're going to get an opportunity to go to one another in some ways. All right? And we're going to do it all today. I'm just kidding. In this room. In fact, I already have a list, and I'm going to be assigning you who to go to. Wouldn't that be terrifying? All right, so Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. He understands the principle that's going on here. He's like, oh my goodness, you've given us authority to agree for the kingdom of heaven to be established in relationships in a practical and real way to extend it in our cities and in all the earth. And I want to do this. I want to do this well. And then Peter's saying, so tell me then in regard to going people to people if they've sinned against me or or sinned against you, how many times do I forgive them before I hand him over to Satan. That's basically what he's asking. Like, when do I get to the part where I 
can treat him like a publican or a tax collector. And he says, seven times? He's thinking he's being generous. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but seven times 70. In, in, in other words, as, as much as they'll repent is as many times as you'll forgive them. I'm not looking, like, I, my, my, my desire, Jesus is saying, is, is not that you boot them out and let them go be of the world again and go be with the enemy again. My desire is that they be reconciled back so that you're doing 1 Corinthians 13 together. You see that? Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's where I'm going with this. See, justice was created to restore relationship. Justice wasn't created for punishment. Do you see that? Pun punishment is a component of justice. It can be. But justice's ultimate design is that we're reconciled completely. And he's saying, that's what I want in your relationships. So here we go. So then Jesus says, on the, on the strength of that, how many times do I forgive? Seven times 70, Jesus shares this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Just picture 10,000 bags of gold. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Times like a thousand. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. I want to pause for a moment and just say, did you catch that? This man's sin, his debt, affected his whole family. Your sins affect the whole family. Did you catch that? You're not sinning just unto yourself. You're creating a root that grows and affects the whole family. That's why we confront each other. Because we love each other enough to say, like, let's not get a bitter root cruising in here. Amen? Because bitter roots apparently cruise. I meant grow. But they, they grow at a cruising rate. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, you pay me what you owe me. He demanded it. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. And instead he went off and he had that man thrown into prison till he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is Jesus speaking first person. Jesus is saying, here's the parable. You've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold worth of debt. Anyone who sins against you will be sinning against you less than what you owe me. And if you don't forgive from your heart, just know this. You're handing yourself over to be imprisoned by the very thing you're holding against them and tortured until you pay everything that you owe me. In other words, the enemy has a right to torture you now and to punish you according to your violation of the law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from Christ, we have no righteousness. So if you want to hold someone else to account and won't forgive them from your heart, you are saying now, I am the judge. 
I demand justice, and the Lord says, okay, then we'll start with you. And the torturer has access to your life to begin to torture you until you've paid every last penny. And by the way, 10,000 lifetimes isn't enough. Only Christ could bring justice. So you have received justice and mercy, and therefore you are to give justice and mercy to others. Does that make sense? So what happens? This is the area. It's where's the scheme? The scheme is that we believe one of the best lies out there, and that lie is this. I shouldn't have to put up with this when it comes to other people. It's like, Wendy, you of all people should not be treating me like this. Like, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You were like an elder in your other church, so... I mean, if it was one of your kids, I'd forgive him. But from you, I just shouldn't have to put up with this. Doesn't that sound kind of slick? I mean, really? Don't you feel like it's more her fault than mine? I mean, we talked before this, and we've already worked through her many sins against me, so I'm just kidding. (laughs) How many times do we get into something where somebody sins against us, and rather than walking out the steps that we've been given in Matthew 18, we believe the lie from the enemy, you shouldn't have to put up with this. Like, you don't need this drama in your life. You know what? The most loving thing for you to do is just not engage. Is that knocking on anybody's door? And instead of loving somebody enough to go to them and talk to them about the breach that's between you, the sin that's between you, just the two of you, because the step one is just the two of you, then what you do is go find a trusted person to talk to instead. You kind of got it right. It was just you and one other person. No, you didn't get it right. And the next thing you know, we have unforgiveness in our heart. And we're justifying that. And we're holding on to that. And what happens? Suddenly, we find ourselves entrapped and being tortured. And it comes in many different ways. But this has been such a successful tactic of the enemy. I want to share with you a couple of... uh, Let me share this scripture here. This is in Ephesians. It's a summary of this very teaching that God gave. Don't give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as God's own for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault-finding, and slander be put away from you, along with every kind of malice, all spitefulness and verbal abuse and malevolence. This is the Amplified. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. It's a summary of what Jesus taught. This is later in Ephesians. He's talking to the Ephesian church because what are they doing? Falling for that scheme and they're clamoring and gossiping and talking smack about each other and holding grudges. And he goes, don't do that. Be kind-hearted to each other. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life through unforgiveness. In fact, you can be angry but don't sin and don't, don't go to bed angry. I heard that saying, if you go to bed angry, you'll wake up bitter. Isn't that a good one? Tattoo that on your arm. Go to bed angry, wake up bitter. It's a good thing to remember. See, it's the same thing. Don't give the devil a foothold. Here are a couple of questions I want you to ask yourself right now in closing. That that in this area, 
where the enemy's scheme is to cause us to walk in unforgiveness, sometimes, like, here, here's, here's the tricky part of it. We don't necessarily think to ourselves, oh, I'm probably walking in unforgiveness. We think to ourselves, you know what? I don't need that drama in my life. You know what? That person is super annoying. You know what? They didn't say it right. Okay, they said the right thing, but I hated their tone. Right? How many? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you know, it's like, there's a justification for like, I would have responded the right way, but they did it wrong. It's like, well, really? So, so, so it can sneak around. Unforgiveness can sneak around. It's like, well, they need to learn their lesson. Well, they're not trustworthy yet. If someone is abusing you, I want you to know forgiveness doesn't equal trust. So don't, don't be dumb. Um, like, don't, 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 don't confuse trust and forgiveness. But, uh, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of believers take the words I just used and twist it back around to basically be like, yeah, so I don't have to forgive. Okay, forgiveness looks like I don't keep a record of wrongs. Forgiveness looks like 1 Corinthians in action. Not puffed up, not demanding its own, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, extending the benefit of the doubt. Okay? Does that make sense? I would say that there's very few people... I'm going to leave this one alone. I'm going to leave this alone. Let me standpoint. So, so what I want you to do is take a moment and, and I want you to just ask these questions of yourself and, and go through this this week because many of us are, are, are actually being tortured by the enemy because we're walking in unforgiveness. And he has a right to torture us until we forgive. Number one, am I replaying and rehearsing the offense in my mind or that conversation? It's like, oh, thinking, like, they said this, and I just, uh, and you know what I would have done, though? What I should have said was this. I would have said that. But then they would have, oh, you know what they would have said this, because I know, I know where they're coming from. Of course, right? You don't know what's in their heart. They're not even in the room. You're having that conversation by yourself. If you're rehearsing a bad interaction with someone else, or something went down, in the, like, when you're driving down the road, if it comes in your head and you're rehearsing it, that's probably unforgiveness. And you probably need to go have a meeting with that person and say, hey, let's kill a fox together. Let's, let's get this thing out of our life. There's distance between you and I, and we need to work this out. And if you do it in the posture of 1 Corinthians 13, it's going to go well. It's going to be hard, but Christ will be there, and he will help you resolve it. And if you go in saying, listen, I don't want there to be any bad blood between us, and I, I, I already want to forgive you, I already do forgive you, but we need to talk through a couple of things because I want us to be good, okay? Then you're going to work it out. You're going to be able to work it out. There's nothing we can't do with a little more love and a little more humility. Amen? Next one is, is my mouth out of control? Like, am I, am I doing that passive-aggressive thing? Am I vague booking? You know, what's up with that person that whenever you get around them, they're always like, oh, we got to do it our way, and they never take any input. Don't you love that? And it's like, you know, your three friends are like, well, it's one of us. <laughs> Love confronts. You know, I was just talking to um, someone and they were talking about like being in a certain situation and they're like, yeah, this person's always like picking where we're going to go and it's so annoying. And I was thinking to myself, well, you should just tell them that. Like, hey, you, you picked the last three places. Why don't you let us pick the next three places? Like, but it takes courage to be loving enough to confront somebody and say like, hey, you're demanding your own way all the time. We got to split this up a little bit. It actually takes love. And I have to do it because I want to guard our connection. It's that simple, but this stuff starts when we're little. Amen? So is, is my mouth out of control? Am I talking about other people 
Am I? The other thing is, if, if you have a potty mouth, like you have a hard time stopping swearing, like when anger happens, and you're just like, it's the naughty words that come out, ask the Lord if there's unforgiveness. Oftentimes what happens is you've got anger waiting for a reason. And oftentimes it can be connected to unforgiveness. Lord, is there somebody I need to forgive? Because, man, the F-bomb is real on my lips lately instead of honey. Okay? Ask the Lord. Lord, is there somebody I need to forgive? That's oftentimes an indicator. Am I sick? You guys, there's so much science that backs what the scriptures already had to say about this. But unforgiveness physiologically destroys you. It, tr it is absolutely true. You guys have heard it. Resentment, right, is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Your body was not created to, to handle the anxiety and the stress of unforgiveness and bitterness. It literally destroys you. It physiologically breaks you down. If you've been chronically unhealthy or recently just been like getting sick over and over again, ask the Lord, Lord, is this, does this have to do with unforgiveness? I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying all sickness comes from unforgiveness, but I am saying that many times you will find unforgiveness is causing you sickness. Did you catch that? So just ask the Lord. And then the last one, are my people offended too? In other words, when I see my friends, they'd be like, oh, how's your idiot boss doing these days? Right? It's like, oh, so how are things going with your sister? Is she all right about everything these days? Are my people offended on my behalf? If they are, I have unforgiveness because they know that I want to talk about the people that are bugging me. And they lead with it. Say out your amen. <laughs> so here's the beauty. The way that we defeat the enemy here is by simply doing these things. So this week you've got some homework, huh? Get to do business with God and you get to do business with others. But I want you to know this, that as we live out 1 Corinthians 13, we become and continue to be the people that God's called us to be where others can come in and say, Christ is certainly among you. How can I be saved? How can I be a part of a culture and a community that loves like this? That's been, that's been walking together and living together for decades and decades and decades. Where, where the grandkids are hanging out with the grandparents and they all love Jesus and the schools know that this church serves Christ. A place where, where, where people can count on that you're still going to be here and you're still going to be loving each other and walking in covenant. A place that makes me believe that Christ is real. Let's defeat the enemy. Let's live this out. And let's do it forever. But let's certainly do it for the next 80 years together. Amen? All right, Jesus, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that these would not just be words that we hear, but, Father, that we would take these words, that we would allow the power that comes with them by your Holy Spirit to confront us and convict us. Where we need to repent, let us repent. Where we need to go and make peace with others, let us go and make peace with others. Where there are those, Lord, that we need to confront because we've been concerned about them, but we haven't loved them enough <laughs> to overcome our fear of offending them, to let them know, like, what you're doing is not wise, and, it's, and I'm worried, Lord. Help us to confront. Whatever it is that we need to do, we draw upon your grace that we would be obedient to love, to you. Jesus, we love you. Amen. The prayer servant team is coming forward. Please come and receive prayer for whatever your needs are. God bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom.